You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Today, we're here with Larry Velez, who is CTO and founder at Sinu. Um, and we're going to learn a little bit more about their company and a little bit more about Larry. And we're going to learn a little bit about nonprofits, which is an area that Larry and his group have done a lot of work in. And we're going to learn how to sort of treat that as a focus, treat that as a target customer. And we're going to learn the story of, of how they got there. Larry, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Great to be here. Okay. So I always like to start with just kind of learning a little bit more about our guests and learning around their business background. So let's just start with those questions. Tell us about professionally what you were doing, like how you got into the business you're in, and then we can talk a little bit about the business itself. All right. Well, my path was a a little bit squiggly, I guess you should say. (laughs) I started off in Wall Street way back in the ancient days. Uh, I was there for a while, and then I joined two venture-funded internet video startups back in the very beginning of the internet. When uh, when none of this existed, uh, so it was a rocket ship, couple of rocket ship rides back to back. There's going to be a Hollywood movie about one of the companies. But after that, if you may remember, after the first dot com implosion, things were pretty grim in the business world. And having after having strapped myself to two rocket ships, I, I thought maybe we should try this real business thing. And and I started a service business. So that's that's what Sino is. It's a it's a service business where you do work and you get paid for doing work, and that's how you you're monetized. Yeah. <laughs> the traditional way, not based on eyeballs and uh, you know ad revenue and, and other crazy crazy metrics. So so that's been my sort of winded story to to get to here. So I've been a Wall Street com startups and now a tech service business and then trying to find the, the right balance between all those worlds. Yeah, but there's various kind of business models. And I know you've had kind of a history of kind of approaching it from different ways. But tell us a little about the journey on the business side, you know, in terms of how you kind of modeled the company, how you modeled your services, the things you learned over time. I always find that, you know, people, there's always a story. <laughs> there's always a story about how you got to doing the business you do now. So tell us a little bit about, about what you've learned over time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, our model, we started a model that's now called managed service provider. Yeah. Um, when we started, that term didn't exist. But having come from a software world and we looked at how IT services were being delivered, they were basically being delivered on an hourly project basis like like law firms. Yeah. And we thought there was a disconnect between incentives there. If, if you get paid to fix things when they break, then are you really preventing <laughs> them from breaking? Yeah. So we took a slightly different take on that and we offer unlimited time, unlimited support. And we basically charge based on how many humans the company has. And we, yeah. we designate the budget that based on that roughly as a couple of other metrics. And once a company signs up for our service, they own us on an unlimited basis. And, and we think the incentives are right that way. If things break, it should hurt us more than our customers. So we, we did that a long time ago. Now it's called managed services. When we first started, our competitors thought we were crazy. They were yeah. like, oh my God, you're going to go out of business. How can you promise so much? But we did, we did some math and we figured out that this is the right way to create long-term relationships with your customers. And it's worked out great so far. So that's the site different approach that we took to this service. And I think it was influenced having come from software where you're used to charging on a monthly basis and, and you don't limit, you know, you don't give people 28 tweets a month 
and yeah. and then pay them for more. Like you know, th- those are weird concepts in the software world that still exist in a lot of ways in the service business. Um, so we just thought of different ways to monetize it, make it uh, more balanced and the right incentives, and and that's what we've been doing so far. Yeah, and I, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that's the always the challenge with service based businesses is that if you if you kind of look at your pricing and your engagement model from a cost side, you know, how much time am I putting into it? You'll end up in kind of one model. But if you look at it from the flip side, you kind of sit in your customer shoes and you say, well, what is the value I'm delivering? That is often where you can create a lot of innovation in your pricing model. So instead of thinking about, well, how many how many calls do I have to make? You know, instead for the for the customer is how perfect is the service or how regular is the service I'm providing? Well, you know, I can do that using a whole lot of people's time and, you know, fixing problems, or I can actually set up the system and set up the tech to, to deliver that service. You know, that can cost me 50 cents or it can cost me $50. That's my concern. What the customer really cares about is what is the value that they're getting? What's the service that they're receiving? Definitely. And and one thing that influenced our thinking was thinking about what's the downside, right? What's the downside of disconnecting yourself from an hourly model? And we did the math. And, and a lot of people think it's like from the Wall Street world, if you trade naked options, you can lose your shirt, right? You lose yeah. your everything. You go bankrupt. But we said, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? And we did a little bit. And I'll give you insight because I think your audience is different from our, our the yeah. IT world people. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of insight. But really, Really, how long would a customer tolerate a severe issue before they basically fired us? And we we figured out that this is basically three business days. So if everything's broken at one of our customers for three business days and we're going all in, putting all our resources into it, we did the math and it's about $30,000 of cost on our side yeah. that before we get fired, because they won't let you work on the problem forever, right? Yeah. You know, if, if their email is down or their accounting system is down for three business days, on the fourth day, you're fired. Like that's not, they're not gonna give you two months to fix it. <laughs> so that's the downside. It's not like trading naked options. They're really is a limit to yeah. how much risk there is to the model and that once we we did the math around that and we figured out the limit is somewhere between 30 and 50 thousand dollars of our costs mm-hmm. that we would need to invest to go all in on a problem to fix it we said well you know we're willing to, to make that gamble because in exchange we get a customer for many years that yeah. pays us every month and the lifetime value of that is way over thirty thousand dollars yeah so, that was a little bit of math we did. And, and it doesn't work for everybody. So, you know, we can't really help company that's less than 10 or 20 people yeah. because the costs are too high for us for that. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for a company over 500 employees because they have different different needs. Yeah. Um, and, and a company that's doing day trading, for example, might not be a great fit for our model. So, so there are limitations. You can't offer every pricing model to every kind of customer, but it helps you start focusing on the customers that see value in what you do. And that's sort of why nonprofits love our model for other reasons, and we can touch on that at the right time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you as you define your your model, your pricing, your cost, you find that companies it fits well for some it doesn't, and and you have to react accordingly. The other thing I think it it allows you to do is actually figure out well how how can I invest in my services and my relationship with the customer to actually not only drive their service up but drive my cost down. So you're no longer you know thinking about well. You know, I, I'm here on an hourly rate and, and fixing problems actually hurts my margin <laughs> or hurts my revenue <laughs> to being, hey, look, I, I can spend the time and energy to build the systems, to build the processes, to invest in the right things that are going to provide for the seamless service. But I'm going to recoup that that investment over, you know, one, two, three, four, five year contracts. And, and customers are going to do that because they, they like the service. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll give you a concrete example at the risk of getting a little too much on the IT no, side. Fine. 
wireless has become a big part of the way business is done, right? Yeah. It's just everything's wireless, you know, MacBooks and yeah. everything. So there's two ways to approach that. If you're an IT company, you can sell the customer a wireless device and make a, mar- a markup, mark it up 20, 30%. And then you make your money that way. That's one way to do it. So what we focus is like, what, our goal is to really keep this customer for as many months and many years as possible. So we actually give them the hardware for free. We have the revenue to do that. We have the, you know, enough revenue coming from that customer to cover the hardware costs and include it because it's better to keep them happy and their iPhones connected than it is to debate how much a wireless access device costs and how much are we marking it up or not marking it up. So again, we think incentives and the conversations are diverted based on how you make money. And there's a lot of companies who make money by selling hardware, but they think that way. They yeah. think about hardware is sort of the companies, it's sort of like, uh, you know, BMW and Mercedes right now, they think engines, they love engines. They've had it for a hundred years. They can't think Tesla, they just can't do yeah. it. Um, and the same thing happens when you sell something, that's the way you think. And and when you, you become a little more creative or change the way you charge, it expands your thinking, expands your mind of how can we do things differently that maybe liberates us from some of the maybe low margin products or conversations that are not productive with the customer. So yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a cliche saying here, but you know, people don't want drills; they want holes in walls, right? So you know, instead of thinking about the hardware, <laughs> there's actually even a great one now where uh, I don't know if you've seen this but infomercials where it's like a it's like a wire that you kind of push through the wall and it creates a hook. You know, because people don't yep, actually don't want holes in walls. They want pictures hung, right? So if you could just like, it's not about drills. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like, how are, how that's can a good we point. actually just get these pictures hung? Actually, even now there's ones where you just, you go to Instagram and it, they ship you the pictures with an adhesive on the back and you just stick them onto the wall. So, you know, <laughs> as we get to really understanding what the customers really want at the end of the day, you know, there's lots of different exactly. ways to do that. We should get out of this. Like we're in the drill business because that's really not what the customers are in. So, um, right, right. and I think that's great because I think that is a lot of the challenge with service-based businesses is that it's really easy to look at what's my cost model what's my cost structure and how do I look at it as a markup model for pricing instead of what is the real value the other thing I like about that too is that once you start asking well what what is the value like if I'm pricing based on value I then start figuring out well what does the customer really want what do they really value here and they really don't care about right. the access. They don't care about the wire, the router. They care about having their phones connected or their right. computers connected, right? And there's lots of different right. ways to do that. So, um, right. you know, I think that's I think that's smart. So I know you alluded to it, the fact that you have um, you've been working a lot with this nonprofits. Talk to me a little bit because I think your story about how you kind of got to that point is really interesting, and it's something that I end up talking to a lot of companies about, and I think it's really a struggle for companies as they start to grow because early stage, you you basically you're kind of chasing money, right? Anyone who's got a budget who is willing to pay you for something, you're kind of like, I'll do that, right? And as you start yeah, to grow yeah. and you start to really think about scaling the challenges, and it and it's a little counterintuitive. I always say the faster you want to grow, the faster you want to scale, the more you need to focus, the more more narrow, more targeted, more specific your offering needs to be, the service that you're providing, and right. the people you're providing for. And I know that you went through kind of an analysis of looking at all the different people that you provide service for and got to this kind of nonprofit. But tell us a little bit about that story and how that played out for you. Yeah, so every you know everybody says you should pick a vertical, right? This is business one, pick a vertical, dominate it. And, and this, they say, but they don't tell you how. How do you, how do you get there? You yeah. know, and, and some people have natural networks within, you know, the art world, though they come from, you know, certain yeah. kind of vertical, so it's natural. But for us, there really wasn't. We we had all sorts of customers uh, from architects to hedge funds to marketing consulting firms to modeling agencies. We had a lot of different uh, companies. But as we started studying and uh, the different kinds of companies and seeing the customer satisfaction, the profitability, 
longevity, all these metrics of health, of health of a customer, there's something that stood out surprisingly. And, and we started getting a growing number of nonprofits. And when we looked at their customer satisfaction, they were, they were very happy with our service. And um, one thing that surprised us is they really loved our cost model. There have been times like I've had strong debates with lawyers and law firms about how our cost model is, is just just nonsense. And like because lawyers <laughs> charge, you know, they charge five hundred dollars an hour, a thousand dollars an hour. Right. So their whole world mindset is the hour yeah. lease, the value of an hour, the value of an hour. Yeah. So here I'm trying to say hours are nothing. Forget about the hours. And they're like, no, like, no, you, you're, <laughs> you're rocking the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we've we've actually literally never never signed a law firm. I mean, and 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 it could be our cost model. I don't know. But nonprofits, we had the opposite conversation with where they said, "Wow, look, listen, you know, we get grants based on programs that we do. So so Bill and Melinda Gates or the Ford Foundation might give us a grant, and because you're charging us per person, we can easily allocate that grant to those people." And then these other 12 people or these other 25 people. So your bill is easy for us to divide into our costs, our IT costs. Furthermore, Bill and Melinda Gates really don't like us to be spending on hardware. Yeah. They want us to spend on our mission, right? And your service brings all the hardware and all the value that hardware brings, but also adds a lot of the mission-focused value proposition that we need around IT. So they just saw a lot of synergy there versus their other option is to hire a bunch of IT people, which in their business plan looks like they're not directly helping their cause, right? If, if it's, it's hemophilia or, mm. or, or education in Africa, it's hard to justify that. So I bought a, a you know, if they say I bought a $10,000 server, how do you allocate that across the, you know, five different programs they might be doing? So they liked our, our cost model because it made their life easier from an accounting standpoint from, you know, the way they, 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 they allocate. Let's talk about that one because I think that's a really interesting one. It's not the first time I've heard this kind of insight or this, a way in which people create value or, or um, really differentiate themselves in the market is that sort of the way that they bill or the way they structure the engagement helps the customer with what they need to do. And I think the yes. story, um, the story I specifically remember was a storage company and the way in which they build the customer. And literally it was just, it was the way they organized the bill so that it was grouped in the right way that they could, then the customer yeah. could turn around and bill their clients in the right way based on that. that's what got them the job because the customer with all these other companies was having to go through and basically rekey in all the individual bill items into project codes and account codes because they solved that they gave them a simpler way to bill that was the best thing that they did. so really understanding how does your service fit into the customer's process and the customer's operation and their the value they provide and can you just and their revenue yeah well in this case the way they get money and, they, and you know it yes. allowed them to actually you were bundling your service in a way that fit with the way they could get money and it, it allowed them to get money easier or better and sometimes people don't think about that they think about just the immediate value of their service like oh, okay are you connected to the internet what is the you know what's the bandwidth is it you know what's the uptime they don't think about well what else what other problems does a customer have that we could actually solve by just changing the way we do things so I think it's a really good one I, and I would certainly encourage folks to kind of think about that with their service and, and even products, but how does it impact their customers and there are other things they can do to add value? And so I also wanted to go back a little bit. You mentioned a couple of things that I think are important, which was looking at your customers, looking at your 
the people that you had been serving and looking at the data. So looking at customer service responses, looking at your profitability, looking at, you know, the the data that you have. And so you guys are tech. So I'm sure that, you know, you're kind of naturally predisposed to some of this stuff. I'm sure a lot of listeners who are not kind of in the more analytical fields may this may be, you know, uh, a little uh, new to them. But talk about what data did you look at? What was the data that you had about your customers that allowed you to then kind of ask these questions of, okay, where are we doing well and where are we not doing well? Right. Well, I think you touched on a couple of easy ones. Customer satisfaction. I mean, it's literally just asking, are you happy? Right. How did you do that? We're using, is it, what was the process that you've actually got that feedback from customers? We've done it a a few different ways. Uh, We've actually had third party, you know, third party literally call the executives at our customer and ask if we're, but we also, every time we help with something, we send out a quick like you know survey so so our, our reactive teams get surveyed from that every time we finish a pro- project we're gonna be sending a a you know sort of a, a recap of how well did this go um so that's satisfaction but then the cost side it's easier for, for us to track because we, we kind of have a ticketing system so every time we help with something we have a ticket and we can allocate a cost based on who which team worked on that and and then calculate our costs roughly on that. Then lifetime value is very important too, right? Lifetime value of a customer. If a customer only stays with you for a month or two yeah. months, there's, you know, but we've had customers that stay with us for, uh, our oldest customers have been with us over a decade. Wow. And, uh, you know, our average customer has been with us longer than the average marriage, you know? Which is, <laughs> yeah. A long time. So uh, we look at that too, lifetime value and, and all that. So we, that's a little bit easier to calculate. Obviously, you know when they started, you know how long they've been with you. There's also another metric of the growth. So for us, when a customer hires a new employee, that's more revenue for us mm-hmm. because we're charging a little bit more. So knowing when a company is growing or shrinking or staying the same is helpful in which sectors. So for example, in 2008, we survived an economic meltdown. We had customers that were doing staffing, uh, specifically Wall Street staffing. Yeah. They completely collapsed right after that, right? And we we saw that. We saw that it's a vertical that is very susceptible to the yeah. health of Wall Street. Um, so if you focus on only Wall Street's fat staffing companies, you need to be aware of where the the stock market is, you know, because it's going to affect that. So there's a lot of metrics. So those are the kind of things we looked at, and we kind of bundled that up into to compare verticals. I mean, and there are other verticals that we do great in as well. Mm-hmm. The nonprofit sector was just surprising, and and there's some pleasant things where with the nonprofit as well because they're doing such great things. So yeah. it encourages you to 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 pay attention to to what they're doing, learn more about what they're doing. So it's it's just a pleasant vertical in in, in, in general. Yeah. No. Obviously, there's. Uh, there's there's kind of a, a good, we call it, uh, you know, social sector, kind of, you know, purpose-driven, mission-driven. You know, it's, there's, there's always a little a bonus there for helping a group that's making a positive, significant impact in the world. So I certainly get that. What um, what other benefits, like now that you've kind of, you've taken the sector and say, okay, we're really going to focus on this. Once you've started focusing on it, what else has started to become easy or, or what else have you noticed in terms of it's serving you well from a business point of view. Well, I think you start once you start understanding, you know, which verticals work well for your business. You start learning more about that vertical, um, and you start learning the common challenges they have. So, for example, for nonprofits, fundraising obviously is an important thing. Keeping track of your donors and who they are through a management system is important, more so than say an architecture firm for which AutoCAD is, you know, the most important thing. Now, there's only a handful of players in management software. Once we get good relationships with those companies and the ecosystem around that, the consultants, yeah. the integrators, the trainers, all of that ecosystem, once we build those relationships and we, we've have years ago, it's easier to help a new nonprofit that comes to 
us and says, look, we've been doing donor tracking in Excel and, and it's, you know, it doesn't work. Yeah. And we could say, well, here's FundEasy. Here's what, you know, a couple of our customers are using or many of our customers are using. Take a look at this. Yep. Here's a more forward facing iPhone based CRM for nonprofits. Let's look at that. And, and maybe you need to raise money through SMS or Twitter donations or, or Facebook, you know, campaigns. That's different need. You start learning these commonalities and being able to quickly connect your yeah. customer to a solution versus if you have too many verticals, it's hard to get deeper into them, right? Once you've narrowed it down to, to two or three top verticals that make sense, you just deepen your relationships there. Obviously, if you get down to one, it'll be even deeper, but there's also some risk that you're susceptible to that vertical, like I said. So for some companies, you might want to find the right balance between one and, you know, many. Uh, so yeah. so yeah. for us, we're trying to focus on a few. I think that makes sense. And I, and I like that sort of the, the idea that once I really double down on a vertical, Kind of the two things that you mentioned, I think are really important. One is I be, really begin to understand how their business operates, you know, not just the thing that I provide, not just the, the particular service that I'm focused on, but really all the things that are going on inside their business. I can now have more intelligent conversations with the people that I have relationships with about how things are going. So it just gives me an opportunity to build deeper relationships because I have the knowledge. The other thing I think is interesting that you mentioned is you begin to learn the ecosystem. So it's not just understanding what the problems are and the tools, but you actually know the consultants, you know the advisors, you know the other people that you can help, you can introduce them to, that you can facilitate conversations around. And that ends up becoming really important for these folks because it, you know, it's one thing to get, be able to say, okay, well, here are the top five you know, you know, system, CRM systems. It's another thing right. to say, and here are, you know, two or three really good consultants who can help you implement this or can come in and train your folks on this thing. Um, that those, those relationships and those referrals can be gold in that situation because, you know, finding those and, and the trust that comes with that, being able to say, look, I, you know, they've worked with several other, my clients, I know they do a good job. You know, they're, they're trustworthy. They're, they're highly capable. Like that is stuff you, those people cannot get other places. Like you become a really valuable valuable resource for them. I do think, you know, your comment that going completely in on one vertical has some downsides and some risks. Uh, certainly, typically what we're looking at there is figuring out, well, what is the risk and how can I find other verticals to offset that? So whether it's seasonality, whether it's economic cycles, whether it's, you know, where where is my risk exposure and how can I bring in things that are going to offset? So it's the whole, you know, patio furniture, ski sales, you know, it's like, how do I find a counter-cyclical business exactly. that, that pairs well? One more thing I would add to yeah. that is that in your marketing and sales efforts, once you have a few customers in a certain vertical, and for us, it can get very, very narrow. So one, one, one very narrow example I'll give you is yeah. we have a few nonprofits that are in sexual health and education. So they're doing, uh, and they have a very unique need, right? Because if you block in their spam, if you block all, you know, sexual yeah. related words, they can't do their job. They, yeah. they have to say the word condom, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so once you know that, right? So by the time we're talking to a prospect or a lead that is in that very narrow niche, and we say, well, we know the headaches about spam, you know, we just, you know, we Having a conversation at a much more trusting level, yeah. they can quickly gain confidence in your abilities 
for specific needs because you have other examples, very specific examples that, that resonate with them. And it's just like anything else. So I think it starts helping you in your marketing and sales where we find now we've got a we've got a group of sexual education nonprofits as customers now yeah. um, because not only do they have common networks, they kind of know who we are, but we also understand their challenges, very specific challenges well. So it helps not only on that side, but the marketing and sales side, you start gaining some more traction. And that's why Business 101 says to pick a vertical because it's a self-reinforcing thing in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you've run into this, but I find that you actually can come to the table and tell them problems they haven't had yet. <laughs> so you may not have yeah. run into this yet, but in a couple of months, you're going to have this problem. Here's the solution. And here's how we're going to avoid it before you run into it. That, that is really gold is when you can tell a customer you know, that you can help them avoid a problem they haven't stumbled upon yet that you kind of have a friend for life. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's surprising how, how they, they could be pretty unique, you know, where, 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 where for example, a website, a, a company having a website that, that might have a content that someone yeah. considers controversial. Yeah. There's some risk around that. You need to protect around that. So yeah, you're, you're right. You can help, especially when you have larger companies, the same vertical, yeah. and there's a smaller company that's coming up. You can sort of say, well, these are the mistakes they made in their history, right? And and here's what you can learn. So you can start expanding your services to giving a little, I wouldn't say it's consult business consulting, but it's experience. You're sharing yeah. experience and nothing beats experience. Yeah. You know, nothing beats experience once you've, you've gained some of it and you can share it with your customers and, and let them gain from it. Yeah. So um, what are some of the downsides? I mean, I guess in terms of, you know, as, as you've gotten kind of focused on this, what are some of the challenges you've run into or things you've had to kind of rethink or adjust from a business point of view? Like what's come up that's been, you know, more of the things to watch out for as you begin to focus? I would say that different verticals react differently to marketing and sales messages. Yeah. Um, they have different sales cycles, um, sales uh, the, the length of sale, the sales process yep. would could be drastically different. Um, how you're spending might might translate to that. Might be different. Where in one sense you might be advertising a certain way or reaching out in a certain way for another vertical will be different. So you want to have those efforts to be uh, related to each other and not be drastically different. So if you're selling to the enterprise, for example, you're yeah. talking suits and handshakes, right? And, and and you have a large sales team that's flying around trying to close those deals versus a smaller company that might find you on a, a Facebook ad or or a, a YouTube search. So your marketing and sales spending is, is very different. So I think that's that's one of the differences is that you, you don't want your sales and marketing strategies to be wildly different. It's probably going to be more expensive to have a group of suits flying around and also a very uh, forward-thinking Snapchat geo targeted yeah. you know uh, awareness campaign. So those are two different teams with very different mindsets. That means your spend your spending doesn't overlap as much yeah. um, in that sense. So that's one thing I can think of. Yeah, I certainly think that the part of what ends up happening is there's kind of a operational or an executional impact, and then kind of a cultural or people impact. Is one is as you start to specialize, your your processes become much more honed to that particular service for that particular target. And you do end up, you know, if you have a lot of legacy clients and other verticals, you kind of run into this problem of, okay, well, how do we keep, how do we keep servicing these folks? Do we keep servicing these folks? Are we okay with service potentially going down? If this is the way we're going to do things now, well, that may not serve some other customers. I always find that there's, you know, that the letting go customers that 
while you love are not a fit for your new focus is probably one of the hardest things businesses do. <laughs> and then the people side, I mean, oftentimes I find that as you know, as you focus, your culture ends up becoming a little bit more articulated and a little bit more specific. So sometimes you run in kind of people issues where, you know, that, that person who is a great customer service focus or technician, you know, for the business before, you know, just doesn't really work with this new focus we have. So dealing with this whole kind of how do I how, how do I either change or, or manage out the folks that are no longer a fit, you know, with the new strategy going forward. Again, those are those are tough ones for folks, particularly people that have been there for a while. Yeah. And I, I think I give you a pretty concrete example of trying to do those experiments when the company's small and get them out of the way because it gets harder and harder to change. And here's a perfect example. So I'll have conversations with other IT firms who have had the hourly base model for a long time and are successful at it. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've, they're successful, but they want our model. I'll lay it out for them. I'll tell them exactly how to do it. And it is painfully hard to change. I call it having a different God, right? You're, yeah. You have <laughs> like one it. God of how you price things, right? And then you, you're you having to change religions. And I've seen and I've, I've tried to help them make the change. And it's very hard because they almost have to fire some of their customers yeah. that they were billing hourly to have our model. We're lucky because we started with our model from the beginning. Yeah. So you don't want to have to make drastic changes in how you run your business once you have a lot of customers. You want to, it's like building a product, right? You know, you want to build a minimal viable product, right? iterate when it's small, when you have three customers, not when you have 10,000 customers on that app, um, then you can't, you're locked in into things. You can't change, you know, it, look how long it took Twitter to go beyond 140 characters yeah. because they were locked in. They were locked in. Um, they probably could have done it quickly in week three, Yeah. but uh, that, that's what happened. So I would say, to get those experiences out of the way with the first few customers because it's going to get harder and harder as, as your customer base grows. Yeah, the, the sort of the sooner you do it, the easier it's going to be because you're not going to have baked in a lot of investment, a lot of kind of thinking and, and commitment to things. I think that's all good advice. We're, we're running into time here. So if people want to learn more about you, about the company, you know, follow up questions, what's the best way to go get a hold of you and, and learn more about Sanu? Yeah, and I'm happy to, to, to share it with We're just sinu.com, S-I-N-U.com. So that's our website. And I'm just Larry at sinu.com. So shoot me an email or hit me at Larry Belez at Twitter. And I'm happy to share whatever little tidbits we've learned along the way with uh, anybody that, that, that would find some use with it. That's great. Thanks so much, Larry. I'll make sure that those are in the uh, show notes so people can click through and get that. Larry, this has been a pleasure. I'm, I'm excited to kind of stay in touch and hear how things develop. And uh, maybe we can do another episode when you're you know, when you're you're scaled up and, and even bigger and we can hear how this is playing out for you. Awesome. Thanks for the time. Great to do this. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.